be with us this morning and help us to just keep our eyes focused on you and help us to intently um, just just uh, um, pay attention to what you have for us, what you're calling us to, um, how your spirit is working in our hearts. And, and Lord, I pray that you would help me to speak the word um, um, honestly and, and clearly, Lord, uh, that I would reflect the meaning of the passage and, and the, the focus of your word in Christ's name. Amen. Um, we're going to start off like our series so far, we've been looking at discipleship. Um, the first three sermons have all kind of focused on that topic. And, and uh, with the first one, and I, I keep coming back to this because it needs to be, it needs to be what, we, what we wake up and go to bed thinking about kind of thing. It needs to be sort of the guide for everything we do. Um, Peter describes Jesus as the cornerstone of the church, right? In, in the ancient world, um, you built buildings based on the cornerstone. If you ignore the cornerstone, your walls went funny and it didn't all fit together and it became a disaster. Um, Abby really recently uh, discovered the Lego movie. Have any of y'all watched this with your kids or despite the fact that you don't have kids, Michael? Um, <laughs> it's a good movie. Um, and one of the major themes of this is, like, if you, if you have Legos, following the instructions can be very helpful. You can't all do your own thing. Like, there's instructions that that are provided, and, and it is a major theme of the film. Like, like building according to the instructions in the church is looking at Jesus, looking at his teachings, looking at the example he provides, and building our lives according to what he has taught us to be and led us to be. Um, all believers are set in the place of following his example and growing into Christ-likeness. Everybody with me still? Our ability to do that um, we looked in the second sermon, was, is based on our connection to him. The Holy Spirit works in our hearts and recreates us into new creations. If you are trying to be like Jesus by trying really hard and not by being in intimate connection with Jesus, you will be frustrated and you will fail. Um, everybody with me? We are made to be like Christ by, follow, by living through him, by the Holy Spirit infesting us, by being connected to him. Um, And finally, each one of us, the moment you decide to follow Jesus, the moment you decide to be saved by the blood of Christ, you're called to discipleship. And discipleship is like training, right? I've compared it to my kids quite a bit. My kids learn to do things by watching me. Lori nailed it down right there, right? Like, Like your kids become who they are based on watching you. And the more they watch you, the more they'll be like you. And some of you are sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, that's a terrible bit of news. (laughs) Um, and Jess is thinking about how she can fix me so the kids don't end up like me. Um, but we are all called to follow Jesus. And it's not a calling to learn information. Um, it's a calling to learn information and enact it in our lives and become different according to the blueprint that Jesus provides. Everybody with me? Um, this is where we're heading. Um, we're going to be looking at the book of Acts today. Acts was written by Luke. He was a Gentile. He was the only non-Jewish man to write a New Testament book. Um, and, and what Luke gives us um, in his book is an explanation of how the Holy Spirit grew the church to change the world. That's a very simple summary of it um, or, or explanation. And in the section we're going to be looking at, um, Peter stands up and he preaches a sermon and, and in his sermon, he relates, first off, that Jesus was the Son of God, right? Jesus was the Messiah. Um, Jesus came to this earth um, to save us from our sins. He suffered for the bad things we do. That means you, all right, and me. Um, I got plenty of them. Don't worry. 
Um, for the sins we commit, Jesus suffered for them. He died for them, taking punishment for our wickedness. Um, and in order to be saved, we need to like accept the grace that God gives us through Christ's death. Right? If you have never heard this, or this is the first time you're thinking about it, um, this is how we go to heaven. This is how we're saved from the bad things we do. This is how we escape God's wrath against our sin. Um, this is the only way. We don't do it by being good or by being nice or by giving enough money to the church. This is the way that we are saved. Um, from that point forward where you say, I will follow Jesus, um, you become a new creation. It is your job to grow up. Some of you need to grow up anyway. No, I'm kidding. I was talking about me mainly and Victoria. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> so it, our job is to grow to be like Christ, to follow that blueprint and to move in that direction. That is our full-time job as believers. And it's not even just a full-time job. It is a life we're called to live. Um, but unfortunately, we get lost in this. And, and the book of Acts, the beginning, gives us a great example. And before we dive into that, I'm going to share a story um, that didn't happen to me. Um, it didn't happen to somebody I know. Um, I was sitting and talking to my boss at work, and we were talking about dysfunction in organizations. And he told me about his brother-in-law, who got a job working at GM. It's GM, so, you know, their cars don't work right, their factories don't work right. Um, <laughs> Um, he got a job working at GM on the assembly line, and um, his first day of work, they, they got him to where he was. He had a very specific job. And f assembly lines, I mean, that's a focused effort, right? You start with pieces, and you end with a car or something closely resembling a car, right? And, and the only thing the factory exists to do is make cars, right? If the factory gets confused about making cars, you're going to have problems, um, he got this job at this factory. He sat in his position on the assembly line, and he did his job putting three bolts on when the car stopped in front of him. And all his job was to do was to put these bolts on, and then the car would keep going or, or whatever his job was to do. His first day, about an hour into work, they stopped the assembly line because there was a problem. And he stood there for about 30 minutes doing nothing. And so standing there doing nothing, he decided, well, I shouldn't just stand here and do nothing. So he picked up a broom that was sitting against a wall, and he walked into his work area, and he swept his work area. Um, about two minutes of sweeping later, he was pulled out of the line by his union rep, sat down, and chewed out for about 20 minutes until the line started again because it's not his job to sweep. They have a union for guys whose job it is to sweep. And if you do their job, the union for the sweepers gets angry because you're taking their work. And so he was put back in his spot and told never to sweep his area again. Um, it went on from there. I think he tried to make coffee for himself, and he got in trouble because they had a food services you know, group, and he couldn't do anything. And finally, he was told, buy a little TV, put it in your workstation, and watch TV when you're not putting your three bolts on. I catch you doing anything else, you will lose your job. Um, that's crazy, isn't it? It's completely crazy. It doesn't make any sense. And what had happened was, um, and this ended up being a big problem in GM's life, the company whose job it was to make good cars um, lost sight of making good cars. And instead of their primary focus being about 
making good cars, their primary focus became about everybody doing their job the right way, the only way, not threatening anybody else's job, not doing anything that could make anybody else uncomfortable. And it became this paralyzed organization where the right hand didn't know what the left hand was doing. And in the end, they made GMs. And it was awful. Um, (laughs) The church has often shifted into this position. And it's not uncommon to find churches, especially in, in... in our country, it's just kind of the way it is, where we've shifted away from the original designed intent. And our designed intent, hear me, okay, our job as an organization is to make like disciples of Jesus, right? We're to bring glory to God first, and then after that, we make disciples. And by making disciples, we bring glory to God, right? That is our job, Um the American church has shifted, and largely, like like a lot of congregations, and this one is not very much this way, I, like you guys are awesome, right? But a lot of congregations, it's a spectator sport, right? You show up and you watch the pastor talk, or you sleep through it, depending on who you are, um, and, and when you're done, you go home, and you're done with your church for the week. And then you come back the next week, and that's your week, right, your hour. And you might take a week doing nursery, and you might take a, you know, but, but we all have specific jobs, and the majority of most of our jobs is to watch. And it's my job as the pastor to do everything. I'm not complaining, actually. I love my job, and you guys are awesome, and you do a lot of work. But that's a pattern many churches fall into. And when, um, when things don't work the way they want, people get angry, and they have fits, and, and the church becomes paralyzed and can no longer grow and develop. Um, because instead of making disciples, churches fall into the pattern of making spectators. All right? If you think I'm talking about you, I am not. I didn't write this with anybody in particular in mind. So, you know, it's it, this is what I found as I was reading and I was studying. We're looking at um, three verses before we jump into our Acts passage. Um, Jesus has this habit of using the same phrase in different situations. Everybody got it? Anybody have a family member or a teacher who would have one phrase that applied to everything? Jesus does this. And so he uses this phrase in regards to several things. First off, in relation to teachers, or excuse me, um, he's first off in relation to persecution. Jesus talks about being persecuted. And he says, don't be dis- you know, surprised if you're persecuted because the disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. And he says, so if you're going to be like me, you're going to be persecuted. Got it? But there's a kernel of, of truth that applies in all of the, the examples we're going to see. That is, right, if you were a student, what's your objective? To be like your teacher, right? Is it to be better than your teacher? Is it to be wealthier than your teacher? More respected? None of that stuff, right? It's not even to sit back and watch your teacher. Your job is to become like your teacher. So what's the job of disciples? To be like Jesus, right? So if you are sitting here and you are a disciple, you are a follower of Jesus, your job is to be like Jesus, okay? Um, going on, this is in Luke um, this is in the context of the Pharisees. Jesus is talking about how people who follow the Pharisees um, end up screwed up. He says, a pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone, after he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. In the case of the Pharisees, he says, these guys are judgmental jerks, and so their students are going to become judgmental jerks. Our job as students is to become like Jesus. I know we know this. <laughs> um, Our job as disciples is to be like Jesus. 
Um, John, this is in the context of service. Jesus is washing his disciples' feet at the Last Supper, and they're complaining about it. They're like, you should not be washing our feet. You're the Son of God. We should be washing your feet. And Jesus responds, truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. What's he saying? He's saying, if you know that we are supposed to be a servant to all, you're blessed if you are a servant to all. Which means that if we're following Jesus and we're trying to be like Jesus, we need to be like Jesus. Right? In this case, a servant. Um, the disciples, the, the 12, it ends up 11, right? Because Judas, like, hangs himself um, and, and wasn't really ever a proper disciple of Jesus. So the 11 um, follow Jesus. They get done. They receive the Holy Spirit. Peter preaches a sermon. And in Acts, we find, um, now they heard this. He gets done with his sermon. Excuse me. Now they heard this, and they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the disciples, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. And so what Peter starts out with is, if you are going to be saved, your first step is to be baptized, right, and follow Jesus. This is also a call to discipleship. What do you do if you're being a disciple? You're learning to be like Jesus. Um, Sorry, dry mouth. Um, It goes on, it says, So then those who had received his word were baptized. This is Acts 2.41. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. So Peter gets done preaching. They start baptizing folks. And all of a sudden they have 3,000 new members. What do these people know about Jesus right now? They know what Peter told them, right? And so Peter and the disciples do what they had learned to do. Right? They undertake what Jesus taught them to do. They basically set up shop and start teaching people and discipling them and spending time with them. Um, this is the first church. And it ends up being this great prototype for what all churches are, are going to be like. They don't set up a building committee. I like building committees, don't get me wrong. They don't argue about how the carpet should be properly maintained. They don't, I mean, they don't do all of the trappings that go with the church. They sit down, and their very first effort is uh, they continued devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the, through the apostles. Um, there are four things that this passage tells us, right, four basic tasks. Um, and this is, I'm going to argue, standard, standard, standard for the whole church, Okay. Every church should be doing these four things. Um, first off, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. I am not an apostle, okay? Um, the only thing I'm doing is sharing what the Bible says, right? And there are other people in this room who do this sometimes. Sometimes Jeff does it, right? Sometimes Larry does it. Sometimes um, Jeremy does it. Sometimes 
Uh, Brooke does it. Sometimes different folks do it. But what we're doing is we're devoting ourselves to the teachings of the scriptures. This is a fundamental component of the church. Um, they didn't do it on Sundays. They did it all the time. They spent their time studying and filling and living according to this new way of life. They learned how to be what they were supposed to be. Everybody got it? Um, second, they devoted themselves to the apostles' fellowship. Um, this refers to a deeper community and association. Like, at that, at that point, a teacher, right? Because we talked about last week, we talked about the difference between Jesus as, as a rabbi and other rabbis. Um, at this point, like, like there's a shift in teaching style. They spent time together. They sat down with the apostles and they talked to them and they had fellowship with them and they learned from them. This was not a separate show up in my class and I'll teach you and then you go home, right? Anybody have classes like that? Where, like, you're in college maybe or in high school and the teacher taught you and you left when it was over and that was it, right? The most amazing and effective teachers I've ever had were the ones who followed through and connected with me and made sure I learned the material. I am math illiterate. You can ask my wife. I, I don't get to be involved in our finances because, because I'm, I'm terrible. I can't add. I'm, I cannot do math, Right? I got A's in math in high school because I had a teacher who told me I had to stay after if I was going to pass, and she would sit down and help me do my math work. And she would spend about three hours a week tutoring me in math. Those A's went all the way up until I left her classes, and I took trigonometry, and then I got a D and an F, I think is what I got, <laughs> like, um, for, on my report cards, and I barely passed with a D minus, like, like, but the guy didn't tutor me, and, and he didn't put any effort into encouraging me to, to be tutored. Like, he didn't engage me. Christians, right, believers, are to learn not through attendance of class, but through interrelationship and connection with each other, right? Um, there's a handful of folks in this congregation, in this community, that I sit down with at least once a week to talk about how they're doing spiritually and to interact about how to grow spiritually, Right? Anybody have like folks like that have done that in your life, um, or folks you do that with? Discipleship is about interconnection and teaching. Folks get together, they sit down, they share their lives with each other, and they learn how to be Christians. Specifically, how to be like Jesus, not how to be greater than Jesus, not how to do church perfect, not how to like interpret scripture the best way possible, but how to be like Jesus. Interpreting scripture is a part of that. Don't get me wrong; I said that too quick. Um, <laughs> but how to apply it, how to live a different life. There are four pastors I call on a regular basis. I encounter difficult decisions, and I call, and I say, all right, here's what's going on. What do I do? And I collect opinions from these guys, and I back up, and I make decisions based on their direction and advice, right? Because they're more mature spiritually than I am, definitely more mature mature than I am. Denver, maybe? I, <laughs> I hope he listens to these. Um, spiritually, we grow by walking with other people who help us grow, right? By being connected to other folks who help us become better. This is the design that Jesus gives, right? We see it most often with Peter where Jesus sits down with Peter and has these really intimate and difficult conversations with him. But guess what? Peter grew to be like Jesus, 
And he grew to be like Jesus because Jesus taught him individually. Um, this is how the church is designed to grow. If you have spiritual maturity, you have a job to do. It's not to sit on the assembly line and when it opens up on Sunday morning, participate, and when it shuts down, wait and hope somebody else does a sweeping, right? Your job is to invest in the people around you, is to look at other folks and say, how can I become a part of your life and lead you spiritually? I know. Um, that's your job. That's what you're here to do. If you are spiritually immature, if you're somebody who, who needs to grow spiritually, your job is to find a teacher, is to find somebody who can help you grow. And there are some of the most Im impressive and amazing people in this community. I, I have folks that I talk to in this, in this church who are, are deep and, and impressive spiritually and who help me grow spiritually. Um, and they do it well. And I hope I offer it in return, honestly. I, I, um, the other thing is that what they lived for became a really central topic to what they talked about, right? They talked about Jesus. They talked about how to live better for Jesus. Um, instead of, I don't know, has anybody, do, do any of y'all have a person in your life who drives you nuts? <laughs> don't point. <laughs> um, but, but those people in your life that drive you nuts, how often do you find yourself sitting around and griping about them to other people? Oh, really? I see like this whole, all the girls over here laughing. <laughs> Um, those folks, I mean, they drive you nuts, and it's easy to complain about them, but ultimately what we're called to do, like this discipleship thing, we sit down with folks who are spiritually mature, we do our griping, and we say, how do I act like Jesus toward this person? Or the person who's discipling you has the job of saying, hey, you know what? What if we pray for them instead of just sitting here and griping? What if gossiping about them may not make this better and may not make us Christ? Like, what if we do these things? Um, this is our, our direction. This is how discipleship works. It's interconnection. It is the heart of what every church is um, or is designed to be ultimately. Um, they're devoted to breaking bread together. This has several meanings, right? First off, they got together and they ate together, right? I love going to the Mint after church on Sundays because I generally find about half the church in the bar. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? But they're not in the bar drinking. They're in the bar sitting together and eating meals together. Isn't it true? This is model for the church. I love that when we finish church, folks hang out and talk for about 20 minutes or 30 minutes or an hour after we're done because they're communing with each other. This is what the Bible talks about when it says breaking bread, right? They're fellowshipping. And you guys are good at it, at least on Sundays. Um, it's supposed to go beyond that. I, I talked to, I'm, well, I'm not going to put anybody on the spot. I talked to somebody who moved into the community recently who said that they were so blessed by the folks in this church because they include them. And, like, they didn't just show up and live in this town themselves. All of a sudden, they had all of these other Christian folks from the church who called them up and invited them over and included them in, like, the spiritual life and community of the church. That is the best thing you can have. Anybody experience that? Connection to other believers is a blessing beyond words. Um, and it provides us opportunity to like, reflect on who Jesus is. The word breaking bread is used three times in the scripture. At the feeding of the 5,000, right? Um, at communion and on the road to Emmaus when Jesus reveals who he is, right? 
Um, in these settings, um, we see where the word is associated with knowing Jesus. And the reality is, when we gather with mature Christians and spend time with them, like, God blesses us by allowing us to encounter Jesus in a very real way through the lives of those around us. There are people I talk to who are Jesus to me, like who Jesus like uses them and I get to see God's grace through them. And that's awesome. That's something you should wake up every morning and say thank you for. And then the second thing you should say is, how do I be that guy to everybody else? Um, Because discipleship is growing to be like Jesus. And if the folks around you are doing discipleship, it's going to happen. If you're doing discipleship, it's going to happen. But it's not instant. It's an effort. Um, I took a chemistry class in high school where I sat and I barely listened and I read books and I ignored it because I hate, hate, hate math. And chemistry is a lot of math. Um, and so I naturally married a woman who was working on a chemistry degree. And, and God has tormented me since. I love you, honey. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you win. Um, but ultimately, but ultimately, like like when I sat in that chemistry class, right? I didn't learn anything because I didn't engage and I didn't put any effort into it. Amazingly enough, you can't just sit in a chemistry class and learn chemistry. You have to do the math and the homework and pay attention to the lectures and read the book. And because I didn't do any of that stuff, I didn't grow. I didn't learn. I didn't become anything different. Um, we become like Christ by putting the effort in, not by spectating. Um, they devoted themselves to regular prayers together. Um, one of the best things about this church, although this morning it's left us late, and I wouldn't trade it for anything, right, is that we gather and we share what we need to pray about. We have an active prayer chain. Um, we should be gathering as believers and praying together on a regular basis. It's a call. We should be praying individually because it's part of how we're connected to the vine right? Like it's part of how we're nourished through the spirit is through prayer and through study um, and through fellowship. Um, and so devoting to prayer together is the fourth major thing that the church does at the time in this, in this Acts passage. Um, 44 to 45, and all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Um, It's funny, I read about this passage, and I read all of these crazy arguments about government economic systems and how, you know, this tells us that society should operate and everything else. And ultimately, as I was looking at this, what I figured out was people looked at their stuff, and instead of saying, this is mine, they said it belongs to Jesus. And if I need to use it to help somebody, I'll use it to help somebody. I mean, that's it, right? Um, It's where the rubber hit the road of this discipleship. the other thing I think that they were doing was they were supporting, like, the discipleship ministry. People were growing, and, like, if I'm, you know, if the apostles are teaching, they're not working in the field or fishing, right? And I think that part of what was going on here was they were making sure that folks were growing because they had an opportunity to learn. In relation to us, what are we supposed to do with that? Well, we're supposed to take care of each other, right? That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to take care of each other. You're supposed to look at the folks around you and take care of them. We actually have, like through the offerings here, we do that. We have a fund that helps take care of people. But it's also your job. It's also your job to look at your neighbor and say, how can I help you? Um, How can I show you Jesus with who I am? And sometimes it means helping financially. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes that's not helping at all. Um, 46 to 47, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread 
from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their numbers day by day those of those who were being saved. Um, these folks were living it out, and amazingly enough, people were being saved. You want to see a church that will grow and bring lost folks to Jesus, people who are going to go to hell otherwise, like introducing them to Christ? Those are folks who spend time together and shine Jesus. Like it is so much that you can't help but see it, and other folks want to be a part of it. They're folks who gather together and pray together and eat together and are a blessing to the folks around them together and show what it means to be Christ-like. But it's not instant. Right? And it's not something one or two people do. It's not something that the elders or deacons are supposed to do. It's something that we're all supposed to do. Um, and it's how we become like Christ. It is the essence and the core of discipleship. Um, we're going to close in prayer. I'm going to close actually with a final challenge um, and with a bit of encouragement and application because I'm running long. I've got to go to the Methodist church today. Um, my challenge for you today is to look at your life and saying, Am I growing to be like Jesus? Am I becoming more Christ-like like as a direct and intentional effort of my life? Or am I spectating? Am I being shown what I need to see and sort of enjoying it and then going home? Am I like Eric in chemistry class and it's all just going over my head? Um, am I in relationship with folks who help me grow spiritually? I, I, when I wrote this sermon, I sat down and I thought about it and I was grateful that I've got folks who do that with me. It's amazing. If you don't have them, ask yourself, what do I need to do to find that? We're going to talk more about that next week. It'll be the, the, what we're going to be looking at in the message next week. Discipleship and how those relationships are designed to work and what the scriptures teach on the subject. But in this coming week, look at your life and ask, am I growing? Am I even showing up to class? What's God calling me to do? What's God challenging me to do? Am I discipling someone? Am I being discipled by someone? We're going to close in prayer, and then we're going to spend some time in fellowship. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us today and uh, help us to be like you. Help us to grow to be more like you every day and to draw closer and more into your presence, Lord. I pray that you would pour your spirit on us and, and give us your grace and help us to grow in relationship with each other and discipleship. And, and ultimately, Lord, help us to be like Jesus. Um, help us to be like people who are saved, um, not folks who are still in our sin. In Christ's name. Amen. Uh, if you all stand up, we'll close with a blessing.